women have created these maladaptations for ourselves, meaning we have tried to adapt to the environment, but it's actually done us a disservice. And these five maladaptations, which I think for almost any woman in the workforce will resonate, is one, I need to be perfect. Two, I need to fit in. Three, I need to sacrifice to succeed. Four, I need to do it alone. And five, I need to have it all to be successful. And again, a lot of these are weaved together. And then we have the whole myth of the ideal worker and the ideal mom and the ideal leader. And they all conflict with each other. And this whole concept of having it all that was coined in the 1980s never meant that women would do all the diaper changing and the housework and the cooking and earn all the money. Having it all was really meant, I think, to be able to do what it is you want to do. And you have to define your all. That can be defined by any kind of external factor whatsoever. Welcome back to The Fix, where every week we interview thought leaders, world leaders, academics, business leaders, activists, and ordinary people who are taking action to build workplaces that work for everyone. Before we start, just a quick request. If you like our podcast, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. You can also sign up to our newsletter and get in touch at www.thefixpodcast.org. I want you to take a minute and think about the best leader you've ever worked with. The person is likely to be inspiring, someone whose vision for the future motivated and drove you to success. Now consider this. Is the leader a man or a woman? If you're like most people, the person who probably came to mind was a man. This is a well-known psychological phenomenon known as think manager, think male. It occurs because the traits we typically associate with leaders like being dominant, assertive, aggressive, competitive, being able to commit all your time to your workplace because you're free from dependent care responsibilities are stereotypically associated with men. In contrast, there are very few qualities stereotypically associated with women and leadership, like being a good communicator. I'd probably go so far as to say that some of the qualities we associate with being characteristic or stereotypical of women are almost incompatible with leadership. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you know I have done extensive research on the ideal worker phenomenon, which is the think manager, think male ideal. The concept was first identified by Dr. Virginia E. Shine, Professor Emirata of Management and Psychology at Gettysburg College. She researched this topic since the 1970s and uncovered just how ingrained this expectation is. Shine found that both men and women typically believe that men are more likely than women to possess the characteristics associated with leadership success. Shine went on in the early 2000s to replicate her research showing just how little has changed when it comes to this gender bias. Women are simply not recognized as leaders because their style of leadership doesn't align with the think-manager-think-male ideal. Training women to adopt masculine leadership behaviors is unlikely to help. Women must conform to their gender stereotypes. Workplaces place a premium on men. Simply by looking, sounding, and acting like the ideal, you'll be viewed as more leader-like. Take a moment to consider all the ways a person could differ from the ideal worker. 
What about race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, physical or mental ability, age, physical appearance or religion? In the 2018 Harvard Business Review study entitled Interviews with 59 Black Female Executives Explore Intersectional Visibility and Strategies to Overcome It, the study found that black women executives in the United States often feel overlooked, disregarded or forgotten. They feel invisible. Because of their race and gender differences, women of colour are less likely to fit the ideal worker, making them more likely to be perceived negatively when it comes to leadership positions. Worse, when black women make mistakes in organisations, they are punished more harshly, because their mistake is often used to highlight how much they do not fit the ideal worker standard. The less you conform to the ideal worker, the harder it is to advance. If we're going to design workplaces that support everyone to succeed, we need to start by recognizing the privilege that it is to fit the ideal worker standard by default. The think manager, think male phenomenon creates a problem for women who aspire to leadership roles. All of us have pre-existing expectations for leadership. When we're asked to evaluate a person's leadership potential, we subconsciously compare this person to our expectations. When our expectations are met, we attribute leadership qualities and behaviours to a person, even if they've never exhibited these qualities. Because our expectations of leadership are masculine, when we evaluate men's potential, we're much more likely to see them as a good fit. Women don't meet our masculine expectations, therefore the projection is never triggered. This think-manager-think-male bias has a very powerful impact on determining leadership potential. We simply fail to see women as leaders. In fact, research suggests that men and women behave very similarly in leadership roles, but men routinely receive higher leadership ratings. On today's podcast, Lisa Kapowitz, Executive Director of Rutgers Center for Women in Business, will be joining us to discuss the harmful ways that women have to change themselves to fit the ideal worker image and how organizations devalue anyone who differs from it. Here, Lisa begins our conversation by sharing her own experience with having to live up to the ideal worker. Unfortunately, it is still happening today. The workforce, the patriarchal white male society, and the definitions of leadership tend still to be dominantly associated with the man and the white man. That is changing a little bit. I think we've seen through COVID-19 collaboration have been the key attributes and leaders that have shown the most success. Now, throughout my career, I have been the only one who looked like me at the table. I started out my career as an investment banker, and then I was a finance executive at Fortune 500 companies, at startup companies. And I can't tell you how many times I had comments thrown at me such as, you don't look like a CFO, as I was trying to raise capital from a future investor, at which point I said, well, I'm going to take that as a compliment. And here's our valuation. Here's how much money I want. And here's the percentage of the company that you're going to own as a result. So I'd like to say that it's changing, but it's not changing nearly as quickly. And for women of color, that makes it even harder. One of the co-authors of this article, Deepa Prashathaman, wrote a book called The First, The Few, The Only. And she said something that was so salient that resonated with me so well was the concept of code switching is the fact that you're not 
coming to work as your full self. You feel like you have to put on some sort of costume or some sort of persona to show up. And she equated that to being in a foreign country and speaking a different language that's not your native tongue all day long, coming home and just being exhausted. And I studied abroad in Spain when I was in college. And I remember that feeling of just being drained. And so can only imagine what it is like for women of color who are doing that on an everyday basis. In a 2022 article for Harvard Business Review entitled Five Harmful Ways Women Feel They Must Adapt in Corporate America, Lisa and two co-authors share findings from their research which details the different ways women have to change themselves to fit into workplaces that devalue their difference. Here, Lisa outlines what these adaptations are and why they're ultimately harmful to women. Women have created these maladaptations for ourselves, meaning we have tried to adapt to the environment, but it's actually done us a disservice. And these five maladaptations, which I think for almost any woman in the workforce will resonate, is one, I need to be perfect. Two, I need to fit in. Three, I need to sacrifice to succeed. Four, I need to do it alone. And five, I need to have it all to be successful. Because there are still so few women in senior leadership role in the C-suite, the thought is that we're telling ourselves is, in order to succeed, we can't make any mistakes. And we need to be absolutely perfect. And we can't fail. And it's very interesting. There's another author, Reshma Sujani, who founded Girls Who Code that did, and as part of her research, she actually found that girls coding were afraid to fail. And the one population that she realized wasn't afraid to fail was the elite athletes. And I think that's fascinating. So I was a division one athlete in college, I actually ended up being part of a Title IX landmark case that went up to the Supreme Court that created opportunities for more girls and women to play sports nationwide here in the U.S. And that's really where I found my voice and my passion for advocating for women and equality. And I was a gymnast. So the concept of being perfect really resonated with me. But at the same time, when you fall, you got to get back up. If you're an athlete, you've got to go face that competitor again You've got to try to score that goal again. And so there is that resiliency that allows you to persevere through that. Now, the need to be perfect without having that experience, I think, is even more compounded. And since there are so few women in these leadership roles, we're telling ourselves that we can't fail because if we fail, then we're setting an example for everyone else. And then folks are going to think that women can't do this which is a lot of pressure to put on any one person. The need to fit in is what I kind of talked about before of having to adjust, having to put on that different persona, having to code switch, which again, for women of color is so much more so than even for white women needing to sacrifice. I can't tell you how many ailments I ended up having even in the last year personally. So as we were writing this article, it literally was like, check the box, check the box, check the box. Yep, have that, have that, have that. And 
I think as women and as moms, we always prioritize ourselves last, which is not right because if the captain of the ship goes down, then the whole ship goes down. So we as women need to do a much better job of prioritizing ourselves, focusing on our mental and physical health. I think we forget to do that so often. And if we're not healthy, we can't bring our best selves to work. We can't add as much value to these companies and organizations as we possibly could. So the whole concept of needing to sacrifice, of it having to be hard, does not do us any favors. I think the next one of needing to do it alone comes back to that needing to be perfect. I think a lot of women have the fear that if they have to ask for help, then are we showing somebody that maybe we're not perfect? And women only apply for jobs when they say, hey, I've got 100% of these qualifications, where men know they don't have to be perfect. They say, yeah, I've got 60% of this and they'll go for it. And again, a lot of these are weaved together. And then we have the whole myth of the ideal worker and the ideal mom and the ideal leader, and they all conflict with each other. And this whole concept of having it all that was coined in the 1980s never meant that women would do all the diaper changing and the housework and the cooking and earn all the money. Having it all was really meant, I think, to be able to do what it is you want to do. And you have to define your all. That can be defined by any kind of external factor whatsoever. Gender equality gives men the freedom to be themselves and be valued for that at work, just as much as it does women. The more men endorse the ideal worker image, the more likely they will suffer from isolation and negative mental and emotional health. In fact, a 2007 study found that men who hold strong beliefs about conforming to the traditional masculine ideal are much more likely to engage in unhealthy behaviours like heavy drinking, tobacco use and a tendency to avoid vegetables. Hallmarks of masculinity are an ability to tough it out and go it alone, but this only leads to more isolation. Despite male dominance at work, which brings with it things like solidarity groups, all-male networks and homosocial practices, men are still encouraged to keep their emotions to themselves because sharing their feelings is not what real men do. It's easy to blame men for gender inequality. But you can only do this if you ignore all the challenges that men encounter trying to live up to the ideal worker standard. Every man deserves the opportunity to define what the ideal worker standard is for themselves. There still are biases about women's commitment to the workplace, possibly about women's abilities in the workplace. And I think the worst thing that any manager can do is assume. And we need to ask. And a lot of times studies have shown women are promoted based on performance where men are promoted based on potential. So we need to promote women and give women opportunities just like we give men based on their potential to execute, to accomplish. And I think that's one of the biggest things that needs to change within our workforce. The other thing that was interesting as I was going through this 
we created a male allyship group mentoring program at our center called GAME, Generating Allyship and Male Executives. And I sent them this article because our next session was about advocating for change within their workplace. And the reaction I got from this article was really interesting because I would say almost half of them came back to me and said, these maladaptations aren't just happening for women. I've felt these as well. And so that to me was really interesting because are we doing a disservice? Historically, men haven't felt as comfortable expressing their emotions, expressing their fears as well. And so if men are feeling these things and women are feeling these things, can we come together to change the workplace so these expectations that we're putting on ourselves go away? Finally, Lisa shares what we can do to change our perceptions of the ideal worker and begin to fix workplaces so they work for women and men. I think what's most important is to ask again and not assume. Ask her, what can I do to support you? What additional resources do you need? What additional help can I provide in order for you to be successful and advance in your career or get this project done? How can I be most supportive? What are your biggest challenges right now? And I think it's having that authentic conversation, but it has to be genuine and it has to be presented in a way that doesn't feel threatened. One of the biggest learnings that we had out of our last session with our male allies group mentoring, part of what they have to do for homework is ask female colleagues certain questions. And I can't tell you how many light bulbs and aha moments have gone off for things that as women, we know are totally obvious. But for men, if you haven't had that conversation, it's really enlightening. So one of them was the feedback that they got from women was, I just want to be treated like you treat the guys and not try to sugarcoat it. One of the biggest challenges that women have, and especially women of color, is that we don't get direct feedback. We don't get direct feedback because there's a fear of some sort of backlash that it's going to be misinterpreted. And so we had this whole conversation and I played through it with them and said, okay, if you're not giving direct feedback to the women, what's happening? Well, the women aren't performing as well. Okay. So they're not performing as well. So what's happening? Okay. They're not getting promoted. Okay. What's happening? Well, they're leaving. And then our DEI numbers are going down. I said, okay, so what do you think we should do? And they're like, I think we need to start giving more feedback. And it, it seems really obvious, but there needs to be that environment within the company where it does feel safe. It feels safe on both sides. And again, it's asking those direct questions, valuing that collaboration, rewarding that work that is getting done to build the community with in these organizations to not keep incenting people to be in silos because we know as organizations that we are more productive, we have better returns, we make more money when we are working together, when we are encouraging diverse thought folks from different lived experiences because our approaches to problem solving are different and we know it makes us better. 
The starting point for solving inequality is seeing it. We cannot fix something unless we acknowledge that it's broken. Women don't progress because they're not valued, treated, respected and rewarded in the same way as men. The ideal worker is all the evidence we will ever need to prove this. In a research study entitled Climbing the Corporate Ladder, Do Female and Male Executives Follow the Same Route? published in the Journal of Applied Psychology, women reported greater barriers to career advancement than men, including but not limited to a lack of career opportunities, exclusion from informal networks, gender stereotypes, and failure of senior leaders to support women's advancement. Sure, women can continue to shoulder most of the responsibility for managing childcare and domestic life, and some women might even leave their careers because of this, but only those that can afford to, which really represents a small number of single-income households. Most women want the same opportunities as their male counterparts to progress, but gender inequality at work prevents this from happening. When we deny the ideal worker and the barriers it creates for women trying to advance at work, we deny inequality. Therefore, this week's fix for inequality is to get to know the ideal worker in your workplace. I want you to take a minute and think about what does good look like for you at work? What are the ways you change, adapt or hide aspects of who you are to fit this ideal standard? And what is the mental and emotional cost to you of having to do this every day? Do you think you could take a moment to really define for yourself what your ideal worker standard is? What do you want to be known for? What does good look like to you? It wasn't until I turned 40 that I sat down and wrote out my values. Some of them include things like paying attention to what is heart and meaning at work, remaining open to outcomes, giving grace, telling the truth without judgment, practicing curiosity, dwelling in the possibility, and leaning into the discomfort. Rejecting inequality is an inside-out job. We have to decide for ourselves how we want to work and lead. We have to decide what we want to be known for. What is our standard of what good looks like? For most of us, this starts with setting what our values are and rejecting an outdated ideal worker standard that serves no one. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. A quick one before you go. If you love our podcast and you would like more, then hit subscribe now and leave a review. Your support means so much to us. Also, if you're interested in partnering with us or maybe being a guest on the show, then you can reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.